This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. All right, Kathleen Hayes, now that we've got the bills paid, talk to us about what you're seeing and what jumped out at you. Well, first of all, the fact that there, the vote was 8-2, to two, uh, 13 of 17 officials forecast rates on hold through 2023, uh, not surprising. But again, um, I think it's a little bit surprising to me on the dissent from Rob Kaplan, Neil Kashgari, uh, Minneapolis Fed, Rob Kaplan from the Dallas Fed. Now, remember, there's only there's, there's 12 Fed Bank presidents. Four of them vote on a rotating basis. That's how you get a, a total of 10 on this vote out of the 17 officials on the Federal Market Committee. But importantly, Rob Kaplan uh, preferred to retain, quote, greater policy rate flexibility, while uh, Neil Kashkari dissented because he wanted to wait for a rate hike until core inflation has reached 2% on a sustained basis. Uh, I think, you know, one of the criticisms among Fed watchers of what came out of the Jackson Hole virtual meeting, this uh, switch to an inflation targeting framework, et cetera, is how are they going to do it? You know, how much are they going to overshoot? What happens if they overshoot? Then do they have to undershoot? There's so little... It's really spelled out in terms of details. This is so vague. And many of them say, well, it's probably because there's still not a a full agreement within the Federal Open Market Committee about how they're going to carry this out. Um, Rob Kaplan, I think, has already said in the past that he would be fine with, uh, in the past year or more, that he'd be fine with letting inflation run uh, hot or let it run above a bit 2%. But at some point, he'd want to look at that, and and then he might think change his mind about rates. Neil Kashkari, on the other hand, has been very worried about the Virus. I think this is he's, he's the dove because mm. the key inflation gauge does, is not the core inflation gauge, right? So now he's talking about core inflation reaching at two percent on a sustained basis. It's, it's a little more, it's a little stricter, right? right? So I think that this I think is well, going to be something that comes out of this. Well, and I'll, I'm just going to say what's coming out of it in terms of market reaction. Not much when you look along the yield curve, the 10.5 and two, pretty much where they were right before the release of those Fed minutes. Equities, however, we've seen some support, and we are moving to uh, just a little bit higher on uh, those news. Let's bring in Dave Wilson. Dave, give us the equity market reaction here, because we have seen a bit of a turnaround. I mean, we have. And it kind Slight. of started, you know, before the uh, decision was announced. And, you know, we saw uh, the S&P 500 kind of pop up for a few minutes. It's given back sort of those initial gains. Still trying to hang on, though, for a fourth straight advance. And when you look at the 11 main industry groups in the S&P 500, it's a distinctly sort of economic bent to all this. Uh, energy stocks, industrial stocks, financial stocks best performers out of those 11 groups. And what they also have in common is they're all down for the year. So it's almost like, uh, to some extent, what we're seeing out of the Fed is giving at least some investors a reason to look at the more beaten down areas of the market. And I say that knowing that there are only two groups that are down out of the 11, technology 
and communication services, which includes Facebook and Google's owner Alphabet and a bunch more sort of uh, Internet-linked uh, companies. So, you know, definitely a shift from what we've seen uh, over time in terms of the relative performance uh, industry-wise. But also areas of the market that have run up a lot, you know, Jason, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Kathleen, let, let's take a step back if we can and just remind people. I mean, the Fed, always important, of course, but it has been – Many would argue, and I might agree with them, the critical player in the government's response to this pandemic, especially from the market's perspective. So as you see this, and obviously we're going to hear more uh, from Jay Powell coming up in about 24 or 25 minutes, like, remind us the, the place that the Fed is really holding here in terms of kind of keeping it all together. Well, let's remember that the Fed uh, very early, I believe it was March 3rd, and that was before there were even lockdowns going on in the United States, um, made its first emergency rate cut, right? And then it quickly got the rates down to near zero as it launched in total in the end, nine different programs to, to lend money to people, to get money to businesses, to make it easier for them to uh, not lay off workers. And importantly, though, remember how crazy the bond market was in February? That's one of the reasons why I started buying securities, pumping liquidity, right? And they did a, they've done an excellent job with all that. Congress, of course, did get on board and pass a, a big stimulus program, but now it looks like nothing until after the election. So it, they have played a very important role. And I think the other thing that the Fed is trying to do with all of the stuff it's done lately in terms of this framework, they're just making it so crystal clear. I mean, you wouldn't expect with all the speeches they've given, everything Jay Powell and others have said, that they were even thinking about thinking about hiking rates for a long time. Right. But, but I think more and more, there's some people, hey, we're not going to start hiking rates. We're not going to be, this is not the past where we let inflation uh, rise so much and then say, man, we better cut it off. And I think you have to bring in all the other aspects of this as well. In Jackson Hole, the Fed also added a, a, something that caught a lot of people's eyes. It's not just maximum employment the Fed's supporting, massive, massive, massive inclusive employment, because yeah. more and more, there's have been voices saying, look, you've got to let the economy run hot to allow low-income workers, uh, many of them happen to be black, happen to be Latino, allow them to get caught up too. So there's a lot of pieces here. And I think the Fed is, is clearly on the side of some of the big trends going on in, 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 in our country and in the world even. I think the question for markets, for investors, and for economists, though, is, is how this is really going to work as we go down the road. Yeah, exactly. I just, I'm blown away about, um, you know, we keep kind of kidding about CEOs and uh, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021 visibility. And I respect that because it's still a lot of questions. But here's the Fed saying, you know, we're going to likely keep rates, uh, you know, you know, forecast, uh, you know, and, and rates at zero through 2023. Well, don't There's you suppose a- that's why Rob Kaplan said, hey, I'm dissenting and Rob's a centrist. Rob's yeah. right middle of the road, well, down right, right down the road guy. And remember, he worked on Wall Street for a long time. So Kathleen, so- how often? often is it that they can they put out this kind of long-term forecast, but then they come back in a year? I mean, I don't know. 2023 is a long time a ways. I mean, how well, likely is it that they're going to revise well, that? Carol, let's pretend. I'm going to talk to you like I'm a Fed official. Well, Carol, you know, today I put in my <laughs> forecast for the dots, and Carol, I'm looking at how the economy looks right now and how I think the virus is going to play out. And we really expect that it's going to take a long time to get unemployment uh, down to a level that we would consider something like maximum and make sure it's inclusive uh, unemployment. Maybe and I'm going to say, hey, Fed official, get real. Pretend we're at a bar and you're really talking to me. <laughs> Fed official, uh, Kathleen Hayes, tell me what you're 
really think? Well, you're going to you change this, right? You know what you would say, Carol? You might say, well, but Kathleen, you guys already missed the fact on unemployment that um, you, you thought it was going to be 9.3% at the end of 2020. It's already down to 8.4% as of yeah. August. Yeah. What if the economy gets stronger faster? Can you really stick with no rate hike until 2023? And then if you push me hard enough or one of them, they'd probably say, well, sure, yeah, but we're not, you know, inflation yeah. going above 2% isn't the thing that pushes us. It's going to be unemployment falling and getting people back to work, and we're willing to tolerate some overshoot, but that's the question, too. How much overshoot? Yeah, exactly. Well, I love and- this role-playing. I could just sit here all day and listen to you guys sort of <laughs> pretend to be Fed officials, and I, I feel like we've got... On the bar this, fly, this, this who's really into the Fed. This is the show, is uh, role-playing the Fed. I, I just want to play Jay Powell and sort of have oh, sort of, of a monotone, monotone every and not really answer any questions. All right, Kathleen Hayes, thank you so much. Dave Wilson, give us a little tease for your chart of the day coming up. Oh, it's been quite a year. You know, there's a a word called dispersion that analysts use to talk about the extent to which stocks or industry groups uh, either track each other or don't. This year is all about don't. There you go. Got to think about some role playing for Dave, too. Yeah, exactly. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio. Got another blockbuster team here on deck to help us understand what's going on at the Fed. Dr. Stephen Skanke, of course, Chief Economic Advisor at Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member. He's in Washington, D.C., speaking of the nation's capital. And Jeffrey Cleveland, Chief Economist for Payton and Regal. He joins us on the phone from Los Angeles. Jeffrey, I want to start with you. Uh, as you sort of distill this down, nothing seems to be shocking the market about this, but steady as she goes, or what? What do you see here? Well, I said this is more explicit forward guidance than I think I expected in, in the statement uh, the, the Fed here pledging to keep rates low until uh, inflation is back above 2% for some time and we get to full employment. So I, I would say that is effectively pledging to keep interest rates at zero for forever, <laughs> Jason, for the foreseeable future, unless you really expect inflation above 2%, um, the, Fed, the Fed is at zero. That was already priced in. So I think that's why markets are not reacting much, at least so far. You didn't have a rate hike priced into the bond market until 2024. So that's that's nothing new. But I, I think it's interesting to, to think about uh, made more explicit that forward guidance than mm-hmm. I think most people expected in this particular meeting. I'm like blown away. Um, Steve Skanky, come on in on this. Um, I cu- I'm curious, do you think that this is a political decision, one at least made – a little bit with the election in November in mind? Yeah, the Fed is obvious to this point is that there hasn't been any action on the fiscal stimulus side of things yet. Uh, they've, uh, they've done about all that they can in being specific about that, and, and they, they note in their announcement and in the, the comments of individual FOMC members leading up to the meeting that uh, they remain concerned about the uh, economy and the uh, tremendous human and economic hardship. Uh, uh, they, they once again reiterate uh, their, their statement from uh, six weeks ago, the path of the economy will depend significantly on the course of the virus. And, uh, and we had daily infections yesterday of 53,000. Uh, it's, uh, it's very frustrating for the Fed. Uh, and, uh, and rather say something more about uh, fiscal stimulus, uh, they were just very explicit. 
They're going to keep rates at zero. They're going to continue their, their bond buying program at least at the current rate and may implying that they may increase it above $120 billion a, a, a month until uh, there's just demonstrable evidence that uh, they're reaching the employment targets and uh, in inflation is averaging uh, above 2% a year for some period of time. Um, it, uh, it it would be hard for them to, uh, to to say more that would be encouraging and positive for the markets. Okay. Well, and the and the markets seem to be reacting pretty positively. I mean, now taking a look, uh, Carol, the S and P and the Dow uh, definitely hitting their highs of the day. The Nasdaq uh, creeping very close uh, to there as well. So, Jeffrey Cleveland, I mean, this is a market that I. I not to be too silly about it, but like loves the Fed. They have counted on the Fed throughout this entire crisis. Well, there is no alternative, right, at this point. I mean, they're pushing people into equities. Yeah, what's the old adage? Uh, don't fight the Fed. I think that, yeah. that applies. If uh, real rates are going to be maintained at a negative level, so negative T-bill returns, then investors, you know, many of our clients looking elsewhere. So the investment-grade corporate space, the high-yield Corporate space, emerging market debt, and, and equities. Uh, there, there's your alternative uh, if you're looking for income in return. So I think that's still in play. I should also say that you know the there are risks, of course. The one of them that we're worried about is the the fiscal relief, the the lack thereof, the extension of that. But the data, the economic data, is better than last time the Fed put out their projections. Uh, that much more pessimistic projections from the FOMC in June, and they've you know marked up their GDP forecast. They've marked down, at least in, in terms of the unemployment rate, lowering the unemployment rate to 7.6 uh, you know, by the year end. So that's much better than they were anticipating in June. They added it uh, closer to 10%. So things have improved relative to you know, 90 days ago, and I think that's important uh, for, the, for the financial markets because financial markets are always looking ahead. So what do you guys want to hear from Jay Powell at the bottom of the hour? So just in about 10 minutes' time, Steve, let me start with you. What, was it, what would it be that you would press the Fed chief on? To be uh, more explicit, if you can, about uh, what really is the inflation target, uh, and, and probably even more importantly, Carol, is what it is they're going to do to try to drive it to that. Uh, mm. what, what's left in their arsenal? of monetary policy tools, which they say they're going to use to their fullest to, uh, to help bring uh, further economic activity that will cause wages to rise uh, and, and further help increase employment. Uh, uh, and, you know, following up a little bit about what you asked earlier, this is really, I mean, their next meeting is, is on the eve of the election, and so it's very hard for them to do or say much at their next meeting. Uh, without sounding political. So uh, so Chairman Powell has got to get in all the points he'd like to make in his press conference and exactly what they're going to do in terms of increasing the balance sheet, uh, putting more energy into their, their emergency loan facilities to uh, get things going in a better way, and, and especially if uh, we end up with no more fiscal stimulus before the end of the year. And so... Jeffrey, if you're on Capitol Hill and you're looking at this and you're watching the negotiations or lack thereof go on around fiscal rescue or stimulus, does this change your thinking at all? I, I mean, I, 
it's hard to say what they're thinking candidly at this point because they can't get it they can't seem to get get a deal done but how does the fiscal picture match up with what we're hearing on the monetary side well, unfortunately, I think the, the story was that the consumer was going to completely fall apart in you know August and September when these benefits ended as of the end of July. And that really hasn't happened. Your, you know, today, this morning's data for retail sales, the, the August data, it was a little bit slower than expected. It slowed down from July, but you know, the consumer has not fallen apart. We're, we're remarkably, Jason, back, I think we're 15, 16% below where we were in February on restaurant uh, sales. So that's much better than I would anticipate it, given the expiration of uh, the fiscal benefits and the fact that um, you know the, the virus is ongoing. So it, it, things have have evolved better than some of the worst fears, and so I guess that just makes uh, policymakers, if they already had their heels dug in uh, on the on the fiscal relief front, they might uh, stay with that position. I mean, Jeffrey, what, how does the economy feel right now? I mean, it's really kind of. Shocking, I feel like, to, to if you think about, you know, how much we went down, how much, you know, we have come off of that low, and yet there are still statistics, some that are promising, some that are troubling. How do you see the economy, especially when we don't have a lot of CEOs who come out and say, here's what we're seeing, um, even those CEOs who are in a better place and, God forbid, you know, have kind of benefited from the pandemic. So how do you see the economy for the rest of the year and going into 2021? Well, the third quarter is looking great, uh, Carol. Mm. U.S. and global, we're we're going to see a GDP, you know, annualized rate in excess of thirty percent, uh, which is good coming off the thirty percent decline that we saw in Q2. So big bounce in Q3, and by the end of the year, we're still below levels that we that we started the year. So GDP is probably three to four percent below levels, and we'll take another year or two to get back to the pre-virus levels. So mm. you strong bounce back, but then we are going to face a, a, a little bit of a longer road um, to get to get back there with, you know, some, some uncertainty in the fall, of course. And Steve, do you agree with that, or what's your assessment here? Uh, I, I, I do agree that we should see GDP bounce back at an annualized rate of 30% in, uh, uh, in the third quarter and, and then just continue to, move, uh, continue to move forward. I think one of the challenging things, though, is the... Uh, the difficulty that we've had with some of the employment numbers and unemployment numbers, uh, you know, this began back in March where the, uh, uh, the, the COVID impact on surveys uh, had a, uh, uh, created a big problem for, for the way the survey results were coming in. And even when we looked at the August numbers, which were great, all things considered, uh, after tremendous job growth in uh, uh, May and June, uh, uh, there are there are 15 million people uh, roughly who left the labor force. Uh, a third of those because they didn't have uh, child care opportunities, uh, uh, and the other two thirds uh, unsure as to what opportunities there there might be. So while I I'm really excited about the uh, unemployment rate falling to where it has uh, compared to where the Fed thought it was going to be. Uh, even to the end of the year in the 9 to 10% range, uh, I think we need to be careful uh, to make sure we understand really what's going on in those numbers uh, so that, uh, that, that that people, especially policymakers, uh, aren't, uh, uh, aren't, aren't letting their foot off the gas too soon. Right. Can I just say, Jason, do you, I still have to get my head around a bounce back of 30%, you know, after know. a drop of 30%. Like, I just can't even... Yeah, and 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 to that to that point, and and to the point, um, Stephen Skanky was was just making. 
you know, this question of who's affected and how. I mean, Jeffrey, I think about that a lot. I was having a conversation earlier today for a, a private equity event with David Rubenstein, and we were talking about this K-shaped recovery. Um, and maybe that is or isn't the right way to look at it. But what we do know is that this pandemic has not been indiscriminate economically. We know it has been actually very um, discriminatory economically. What are the long-term impacts of that, especially given that we even have, maybe I shouldn't say even, but we do have the Fed essentially saying we may let the economy run a little hotter in order to ensure that employment is not just fuller but fairer? Well, that was the key part of the forward guidance in the statement, Jason, full employment. So there's some wiggle room around that does not mean, in my view, the unemployment rate getting back to 4 or 5%. What they probably refer are referring to is something you know more inclusive. So, a, an employment to population ratio. So, one that we like to look at is the 25 to 54 year olds, the core working age population, employment to population ratio. That, as of August, uh, was 75, right around there. Pre-COVID, before before the pandemic, we were around 80, a little bit above 80. So, we have a ways to go until we get back to a more in- full, inclusive employment. But that, that would be the metric that, that I would watch. And the Fed is pledging to keep rates low uh, until that time. All right. So what keeps you up at night, Steve, when you think about the economy? I mean, you talked about you know your concerns about policymakers making sure that they are watching and being smart as we read the data. I feel like we have to be really good about digging deeper into statistics right now so that we really understand what's going on. But what is it that keeps you up at night when it comes to the economy? Uh, well, Carol, it's it really that there's overconfidence in how quickly the rebound is coming. Mm. Um, the, the, the annualized numbers are are, are are sort of hard to get our head around, especially when you're talking about a second quarter decline of 32 uh, minus a little bit uh, on an annualized rate. Uh, from January to the end of, the ju- end of June, the GDP went down about 11 percent. Uh, and we went from a $21 trillion economy to a 19 and change trillion dollar economy and, and lost a lot of jobs uh, in the meantime. But, and I, I just don't think that our, our data, particularly on jobs, uh, gives us a good picture as to what is happening and that uh, it, if, if we give up too soon, we will contribute to uh, what I think will be permanent and irreparable damage a big piece of our labor force, uh, yeah. and, and, and that just takes a long time to uh, to come back from. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I understand all the arguments against uh, uh, putting more uh, gas into the economy through through fiscal stimulus, but we have something that's just extraordinary, and uh, I, I believe that it, it calls for outsized uh, an outsized response. Uh, and I hate to see us give up too soon and miss the opportunity that uh, that, that is uh, is something that we can't uh, fully recover from except over a long period of time. Right. All right. Well, our thanks to you both. Uh, really interesting to get both your perspectives, especially as we look ahead to hear from Mr. Powell, Chair Powell himself, Dr. Stephen Skanke, Chief Economic Advisor for Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member from D.C. and Jeffrey Cleveland, our pal out in Los Angeles, Chief Economist for Payton 
and Regal. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, let's understand what he said and what impact it may have on how people think about economics and interest rates. Ira Jersey is Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us on the phone from BI headquarters in Princeton, Yelena Shalecheva, Senior U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics. She's in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. So, Yelena, let me start with you. You were listening very closely, you and your team. What's the most important thing Jay Powell said? Well, uh, the most important thing that uh, they did follow through on the framework change and they were decisive in changing the language in the statement. So there was some discussion around whether they will do it now or they will wait till later in the year. And they did uh, do it this time around and it was a strong forward guidance and i think that is very important that's probably the key point here uh that comes at the expense of two dissents though so there was simply not enough time between the jackson hole uh meeting and uh, this current fomc meeting for uh everybody to get into consensus so uh there was some like changes uh, in the statement that uh, uh, Presidents Kaplan and Kashkari did not uh, like. But overall, I think that's uh, very important that the, the Fed went ahead and they were nimble to change forward guidance to make it pretty clear uh, what uh, they are going to do. Boy, and forward guidance they did give us. Ira Jersey, come on in. Uh, what stood out for you, not just in the decision and the statement, but what we heard from Jay Powell in that lengthy press conference? Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, uh, the press conference really didn't have anything that new. I think that he wanted to go long just because there were a lot of changes in the statement. And uh, obviously, if there were more questions about the, the new forward guidance, he wanted to get to those. Um, you know, interesting that he continues to be asked about what does, you know, longer term mean? What does, you know, modest mean and things like that, you know, that everyone expecting uh, the Fed to be that specific is uh, always going to be disappointed in asking those questions. I, I think going back to the dissents a little bit, you know, I think I think uh, um, Rob, Robert Kaplan's dissent was kind of interesting in that it seemed to be a little bit hawkish, where whereas everyone else on the committee is, is relatively dovish. So um, in talking to some investors on, on the Bloomberg Terminal, after, uh, as Jay Powell was speaking, you know, to talk about, um, you know, who's this person who thinks that they're going to hike in 2022 a couple of times and then three more times in 2023. That doesn't seem realistic. And it's like, well, look, it's one of 17 people saying that they're going to hike. So, um, you know, I wouldn't take much away from that. But for the Treasury market, I think this is, you know, pretty much what was expected. They were, you know, committing to keeping interest rates low for a very long time. And and for that, um, you know, maybe at some point the curve, uh, the Treasury yield curve will steepen a little bit. But that's probably more of a 2021 or 2022 event than uh, than in the near term. So, Yelena, what did we learn from Jay Powell about the, their view of, of the economy? He talked a lot about employment, how they're looking at uh, employment, a little more holistic than just saying, hey, a bunch of people got jobs, but what jobs they got and who got those jobs, it sounded like. Well, I think I agree with Ira that we did not learn that much from the press conference. I mean, the key uh, messages were already in the statement and in the summary of economic projections. But uh, Jay Powell confirmed that they are not going to move until they actually see the whites of the eyes of the inflation and until they return to full employment. So uh, they 
need to see the actual changes in uh, those two uh, goals of the Fed. So I would say that uh, uh, what Jay Powell said in the press conference uh, with respect to where the unemployment is, is obviously very dovish. They saw a lot of progress in terms of uh, uh, unemployment, but the level of unemployment remains extremely elevated. And he mentioned uh, also all these people who remain out of the labor force. So if you add those to the uh, pool of unemployed, you will see the unemployment rate is probably three percentage points higher. That's what he said. So they are looking at a whole bunch of different uh, labor market indicators to assess the state of the labor market. Hey, just quickly, guys, because we're running out of time, but Ira, are you freaked out a little bit by his statement? Are you a little bit worried uh, a little bit more about the economic outlook as a result? No, I'm not. I mean, he didn't say anything that we don't know. I mean, there is still a lot of uncertainty, and it's going to take a long time for us to get back to the levels of economic activity we enjoyed in 2018 and 2019. How about you, Yelena? Uh, Well, the Fed updated uh, the forecast for 2020. We did that uh, um, a few, uh, like last week, I think. So, uh, yes, we do expect better growth uh, based on the recent data this year, but that comes at the expense of slower growth in 21 and 2022. And that is probably a result of a lot of complacency among uh, fiscal policymakers because of this better than expected data right now. All right. All right. Thank you both so much. We really appreciate it. Yelena Shalecheva, Senior U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics in Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm driving in my car. I'll turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it is time for the drive to the close. Let's turn to our pal David Dietz, President and Chief Investment Strategist for Point View Wealth Management. Joining us on the phone from Summit, New Jersey. All right, David, let's do a beat on the Fed. What did you hear? What did you not hear uh, from Jay Powell from an investment perspective? Well, well, certainly you'd have to say that the market heard something that they weren't totally happy with. If I were to put my finger on it, is they talked about keeping interest rates low, as low as possible for much longer, up to potentially 2024. But when you looked at their economic forecast, they talked about keeping interest rates low. So ultimately, we get not only to the 2% inflation target, but above it. In their economic forecast for this long period, they don't show inflation ever coming up to 2%. Mm-hmm. So there's some question as to whether they feel that the tools they have, even though they say they're nearly omnipotent, is going to be enough to get us out of a very slow growth economic environment. Do you agree? <laughs> you know, if there's one thing that we've learned through the pandemic and going back to subprime crisis, it's awfully difficult to make forecasts, particularly long-term forecasts. So, um, uh, you know, as much as we'd love to know what's going to happen over the next three or four years, I think it's 
awfully difficult to tell. Why would that be, Carol? I mean, we're just part of a global uh, economy. A lot of things going on in China, Europe, and so forth affects up to half the revenues of the S&P 500. You may have a change in administration, maybe not just the White House, but potentially the Senate, too. What changes will that bring, and how will that affect the economy? And then finally, the big 800-pound gorilla, uh, Jason Carroll, is COVID. When will people feel safe to get back on an airplane, to have full capacity in a restaurant? I don't think anyone has a crystal ball on exactly how that's going to play out. Well, based on a call I had uh, with someone who works with uh, all of the big publicly held companies this morning, you know, uh, she's finding I'm not going to have to get on meetings with with a lot of folks uh, going forward. You just it's it's kind of a waste of time, and you yeah. realize you don't have to have face to face for everything, and you lose time in the process. Well, and speaking of which, just a headline crossing the Bloomberg right now, courtesy of Dow Jones Deutsche Bank, to let its U.S. staff wow. stay home until mid 2021. That is cutting against what we've been hearing from a lot of Wall Street over the past couple of days, Carol. But I I you know these are the big banks, but I don't necessarily I feel like. Deutsche Bank's kind of in its own little world. <laughs> well, they, they've been in their own little world of hurt for the past uh, few years, but uh, that's a whole other story. So, David Dietz, as we look across the landscape here and we think about names that you like, one that you shared with us that I want to hear more about a lot is uh, Intel, because it has been an unloved chip maker, especially mm. vis-a-vis NVIDIA and others. Sure, absolutely. So we love tech in terms of it's the way of the future. There's secular tailwind behind it. But what we are cautious about is some of the valuations. I mean, we're studying here where Apple is bigger than the Russell 2000. It's bigger than the U.K. stock market. And yet, you know, <laughs> I don't know whether we're going to be using an iPhone in the next five to ten years. So, But we still believe that tech will make a difference. We're just not sure how. What I like about Intel is it's a chip maker involved in artificial intelligence, autonomous driving, um, the uh, Internet of Things. Anything you can think of with tech, Intel is working on solutions in terms of the chips and semiconductors that you would use. Um, Yet you still have a reasonable valuation. You've got a dividend. So it seems to me that we could have a situation where people get a little nervous on some of the nosebleed valuations and some of the techs, but say, I need to stay in my space. Intel is your ticket with that decent dividend, that decent valuation, good management uh, in the Dow. Seems like a, a good spot here. All right, Wells Fargo. Talk to me about that one, David. Um, it's down fifty two percent this year. Right, you are exactly. a long a Wells Fargo bull. I love it when you talk WFC. It, and and I will fact, say, I think Charlie Sharp is shaking things up there. So you put your finger on it, Carol. I mean. But he finally brought someone in from the outside. He had a great record at Bank of New York. He came in, and he doesn't have those established you know, alliances and loyalties. He, he wasn't responsible for many of the bad decisions. So I think he's got a much freer hand to start cutting costs to make the tough decisions. I mean, you've got the franchise coast to coast. You're not involved in riskier trading. You're involved in middle market lending, nuts and bolts, mortgages, and so forth. Um, so you've got the economies of scale. You are now below book value. And I think you've got a man here who has said, point blank, 
we're going to be chopping costs. And if you can just get the costs down, and then, of course, a little tailwind behind the banks would be that maybe Mr. Powell doesn't have the forecast right. The inflation will perk up a little faster than he's forecast. Interest rates come up. That would be manna from heaven for the banks. So Wells Fargo, I think, is an interesting situation for cost cutting and ultimately take at some point where the banks take the baton from some of these nosebleed techs. Another Excuse me. Another name uh, right in the middle of everything we're talking about as it relates to the pandemic and also a lot of focus on our health, as I cough, is uh, CVS. Talk to us about that one, David. So I love CVS. It's the duopoly with Walgreens in terms of drugstores coast to coast. I do believe that at some point a vaccine will emerge. Where are we going to get it? Not everyone's going to be able to get into their primary physician. And I think people are going to be going to CVS and drugstores like that. And, of course, I think they're expanding their operations to have more than just products, but also services, healthcare practitioners. But it's more than that because they've recently executed a merger with Aetna. So it's kind of a one-stop shopping. You get your health insurance. You can get your prescriptions. Of course, they have a great pharmacy benefit managers. Meanwhile, the stock is just plain cheap at under 10 times earnings with a dividend above 3%. You want to be in healthcare. This seems to be something that's been overlooked recently. And once that vaccine comes out, I think people can be paying more attention to who's going to be providing those vaccines. Hey, and just got about a minute or so left here. Tyson Foods, what's the deal with that one? So we love companies that kind of dominate their space. So they're like number one in pork production, number one in chicken production. We know the whole world wants more protein and so forth. Tyson has been knocked down off of its perch because, uh, unfortunately, some of the working conditions were just fertile hotbeds for COVID exposure. So all the meat producers got knocked down on that. But eventually, again, we will have a vaccine. What I also like about Tyson Foods is they're moving into higher value products. So they're not just giving you commodity meat, but they're putting it into, you know, branded Jimmy Deans and things like that, branded products where people will pay a higher margin for a Jimmy Deans product as opposed to a brand X product. And so uh, largest in the space, good dividend, low valuation. And of course, uh, I don't think that's going to be made moot by uh, e-commerce. All right, David Dietz, really good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Some great Fed analysis and we love talking names. David Dietz is president and chief investment strategist for Point View Wealth Management, overseeing about $7.3 billion. Joining us on the phone from Summit, New Jersey. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.